If you would, turn to the Bible to the book of James, James chapter 2. I had a tragedy this week. Going home Wednesday, I left my Bible on the back of the truck, and when I zipped through the roundabout like I typically do, it went flying off. I didn't even know that that had happened. Later on, on Wednesday evening, a awesome, kind, good Samaritan man that I'd never met before called me and said he had found my Bible. It had been run over many times, and so here we are. It's all mangled up. It looks like a mess. You ever heard that quote that says, um, somebody has a Bible that's falling apart, usually has a life that isn't? That's awesome. Too bad it wasn't my uh, use of it necessarily that made it this uh, mangled. But guess what? James is in great shape. And so we're going to keep using James. Now, if I have to turn to some other passages today, I will. I brought, I brought my back up there, and uh, so we should be okay. Last week, we looked at the end of James chapter 2. And I told you that this is the most important passage in the book of James. This is where James makes that huge New Testament declaration that faith without works is dead. Faith must have action with it, or else it's not really faith. It's not a living faith. It's not alive. God is not really there causing you to believe, right? And uh, we spent a lot of time there last week, and I, I think we, we saw a lot, but I, I feel like I kind of failed in that uh, the passage ends with three big examples, and I never got to those, okay? So we're coming back to that today, and there are three examples here that I want us to see. So James makes this big statement that faith must be alive. It must be working in you. There must be fruit uh, in your life that shows that the living God is now inside of you that you believe. And then he gives us the example of Abraham. And he gives us that monumental example of Rahab, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. And then he gives us, in the last verse of chapter 2, the example of the body. The, the body that's dead versus a body that is alive, right? So three examples there, and it's very helpful. Now, what we talked about last week was uh, that this passage is not so much a tension between faith and works. Okay, obviously that's there. But it is more so the difference between a living faith and a dead faith. A real faith, a living faith, has works. And a dead faith, regardless of what you say that you believe, if it does not have action and obedience and works with it, must not be a real faith, okay? So, so that led us to talk about fake faith versus real faith. And you remember that, right, last week, fake faith. Well, I want to read this to you from Douglas Moo in his commentary. He says, James chapter 2 says, True faith manifests, its, manifests itself in works of service to man, to man and of obedience to God. And so he says this, False faith, people that say they believe but don't really, offers no service to fellow man. It offers warm wishes, nothing more. False faith. He says, false faith offers no obedience to God. As with demons, orthodox theology does not save. They say they believe the right things, but it has not changed their lives. It is a false faith. On the other hand, he points out, true faith offers 
costly obedience to God as Abraham proved. And we're going to see that today. And he points out, true faith offers costly service to fellow man, other people, as Rahab proved. And we're going to see that today, okay? So uh, last week, again, last week we studied this, but we didn't get towards these end verses. We did a little bit, but not enough, okay? So we're back at it, and hope y'all are okay with that. Hope you don't think it's redundant. We want to really look at what the Bible is teaching us about these three examples. So if you would, read with me. James chapter 2, beginning of verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now here we go, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Wow. James does us a big favor here by giving us these two examples and then this little third example of the body with the spirit and life and death um, so that we can look at these because we know the story of Abraham and we know the story of Rahab and we're, we're going to recount these here this morning But we can look at that and we can say, okay, what is James wanting us to see here? Now, the neat thing about being students of the Bible as we are is that we know that if the Bible says something over here, we don't just run with what it just says. We believe the whole Bible. And so if we read something over here on this page that sounds like something over here on this page, then we want to uh, wrestle with that and say, okay, well, how do we understand this in light of this? Because both of these are true. And as you know, as students of the Bible, it's not usually just one and one. It's like, well, it says this here, and then it says this here, and 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 it says this here. All of that is true. What does that mean? So we have to read, and we have to listen, and we have to be consistent with our church attendance and sermon listenings and Bible studies so that we're taking all of this in and we're forming what we actually believe, really, what God teaches and what he says, okay? So the Bible teaches us that you get right with God through faith. That is crystal clear. We have been clear on that for a long time. You are saved by believing in Jesus. 
But if you've ever lived at all around church and in the world, we know that there are so many examples and so many people out there that say they believe, but they really don't. Or they say they believe, but they don't really care. Or they don't change. Or they don't act differently. Or this uh, profession of believing, uh, saying that they believe, has not really altered their life at all. And so we've got to figure out what does that mean and why is that the case? And that's what James is showing. Now, Abraham is the very example, the number one example, the biggest example in the entire Bible that we are saved by faith alone. It was Abraham early in Genesis, starting in chapter 12, carried over into chapter 15, and well on into chapters, uh, you know, up into the 20s. It is Abraham that God goes and finds when he's not a believer, not a child of God, and Abraham says to him, I'm going to do something through you. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you many children. I'm going to make you a family. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make my people out of you, Abraham. That's what God says. And Abraham's looking around like, what, who, what, me? Are you crazy? We don't have any kids. My wife can't have any kids. We're too old to have kids. What are you talking about, God? And God says, I'm going to show you. Just believe me. And Abraham says, okay. And he believes. That story in Genesis tells us, this is Genesis chapter 15, that after God tells all of that to Abraham, he tells him to pack up all of his stuff and let's hit the road. And the Bible says that he didn't even know where he was going, but since it was God that was leading him, he believed God and he went. Well, as they went outside of their tent, he asked Abraham to look up in the sky and he says, Abraham, do you see the stars? And Abraham says, yes, I see the stars. He says, how many are there? He says, there's a lot of stars there. And God says, can you count them? He says, there's too many to count. And God says to Abraham, your family will be more numerous than the stars. And he had never had a child and his wife could not have children. And Hebrews threw him all the way under the bus when it said he was as good as dead in being able to have children, which I have lots of questions about that. But anyways, he in that position believed God. God said, look at the stars. You're gonna have that many children. And Abraham said, okay, God, I believe. And Genesis 15, 6, listen to this. Never forget this. Genesis 15, 6 says, when Abraham believed God, God credited it to him righteousness. That's what the Bible teaches at the beginning in Genesis. Abraham was not saved because he was a good man. Abraham was not saved because of how obedient he was. Abraham was saved, given righteousness, because he believed the promises of God. It says that in Genesis 15, 6. Well, then you carry over to the New Testament, and it is that story that I just told that is Paul's, the Apostle Paul's, number one example, his biggest argument for how we get saved today. You must believe apart from any works that you are a sinner and God is the Savior. Through his son Jesus that died on the cross in our place, you must believe. And in believing, when you believe, God gives you righteousness because you've believed. That's what the Bible teaches. That's in Romans chapter four. I want you to see it. Turn with me 
to Romans chapter 3 and 4. If you're a note taker, today is a really good day for taking notes. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Does everybody see that? This is consistent with Genesis 15. This is consistent with what we say the whole Bible is teaching. Justified, declared righteous by God upon believing the promises of God. All right, we'll look down to chapter four. Paul's going to clarify that by using what I just said. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is a direct quote from Genesis 15, 6, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those, lawless, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What, what, what Paul is teaching us there is that because of the faith, the belief, the trust in the heart that God is a savior, a forgiving God, a loving God who sent his son to die for us, Abraham got complete righteousness through faith. The Bible teaches us that, okay? Well, when we look back now to the book of James, all of that is in mind, okay? All of that is in mind. But James wrote his letter before Paul wrote Romans. And so let's see what James is actually saying. Verse 21 of James, chapter 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Paul has already said, reading in our Bible, that he wasn't justified by works. So James is talking about something a little bit differently, from a different angle. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You remember that story, don't you? It's not chapter 15, it's not chapter 12, it's chapter 22 of Genesis. God's got his, uh, Abraham's got his son Isaac. There's a promise that through the family of Abraham, we will get to a savior, we will create a big nation, we will create a family, and it is specifically through Isaac that that's gonna happen. We know that because remember, Abraham had all kinds of trouble because he couldn't have kids, so he went and found another woman to have a kid with, and he did, and his name was Ishmael, and he said, look, God, I've got a kid. We're starting this family, and God says, no, no, no. You're not gonna take matters into your own hands to create this big family. I will do it so that you believe me the whole way through it. After that, he gives him Isaac through Sarah, his wife. Later on, that was chapter whatever, chapter 22, He's got his son Isaac, and God tells him to go sacrifice his son. Now, why? We're not really sure. Test of faith, the Bible says that, but he tells him to sacrifice his son. 
Now, nowhere does God tell us to kill our children, all right? So this was clearly a test. So God, I mean, so Abraham takes his son Isaac. They load up. They take everything they need. They build an altar. They got the wood. They got the ropes. They got everything, and they're ready to do a sacrifice. And Isaac speaks up and says, Dad, we're here to worship, man. And we got the altar, we got the wood, we got everything. Where's the lamb? And in Genesis, Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. He was believing God. Nevertheless, though, God told him to do it. So he gets his son up there. The Bible doesn't tell us like, if that was a wrestling match or not. He gets his son up there, and he raises the sword or the knife to kill him, and God says, stop. Now I see that you really do believe me. And as he stops, Isaac is so thrilled, and guess what's over there in the bushes? A ram caught in the thicket that died in the place of Isaac that is an example to us of God's true lamb, the lamb of God who died on the cross for us. James is telling us, Abraham believes God. You knew he believed God when he left his tent. You knew he believed God when he looked up at the stars. You knew he believed God when God said, let's go, you're going to have a family. And he said, all right, let's go. You know that he believes God because it says that he believes God. But James is saying, you really know he believes God because even when God told him to sacrifice his son, he did or he went to until God stopped him. James is teaching us that Abraham believes God. And so no matter what it costs him, no matter what it looks like, no matter the, uh, uh, the fallout being big or small, good or bad, he will do what God tells him to do because God is trustworthy and he believes God. Now, James says right here, you see, look at verse 22, that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If we had the Bible telling us that Abraham believed, but we didn't have anything in Abraham's life that looked like he believed or that was changed by his belief or empowered by his belief, then one would easily question, what type of belief is that? How do we know that you believe? What does belief look like? And James is saying, Belief has a look to it. Faith has a look to it. And it is action. It is movement. It is doing. It is obedience, right? It is works. And then he quotes that Genesis 15, 6 was proven. Genesis 15, 6 says that he believes God. And that story with Isaac shows us that he really does. Now, this is what we have to understand if we really want our lives to count. It's awesome, and listen, we emphasize so much faith alone. We do. We emphasize so much faith alone. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is trust him. You can cry out to Jesus at any moment, and you will be saved. And we emphasize that all the time, and that's fantastic because that's the truth, and we've already seen that, Genesis and Romans 4 and all that. But the Bible also teaches, and that's why I'm so thankful for James and that we're studying it, the Bible also teaches you that faith alone that saves is never alone. You're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Faith works in us. Faith is alive. Saving faith is alive. 
And this is the very idea that Hebrews 11 is proving. And Hebrews 11 is so good. And I'm thankful for Josh Wamba who read so much of it this morning. And it gives us examples. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. And it gives us all of these examples of people that really did believe. And it says on each one of them in Hebrews chapter 11 that they believed. And since we know they believed by faith, here's what they did. Here's what they did. Here's how it affected them. Here's how it changed them. Here's how they moved. This is what they do. And listen to what it says specifically about the situation that James talks about. Now, Abraham's such a huge character in the Old Testament that there's a lot about Abraham in Hebrews 11. But notice what it says right here. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, so that was the driving factor, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises was And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now here's why this is such huge faith. Because the promise was, I'm gonna give you a son. And it was pretty messy to get that son. And then he finally got the son, and God says, kill the son. And Abraham says, okay, if you say so. What faith, right? Huge, huge faith. The promise from God was sons and sons and sons down the road. A huge family. So if he kills the son already, the the family line is not gonna go. So this takes some serious faith. Either God's right, and I can trust him, or I'm not so sure God's right about this, I'm gonna take matters in my own hands, I'm gonna do what I think's best now, and I'm gonna not kill my son, I'm gonna let him live, and that sort of a thing. We don't reason with God, we trust God. And there are times, because we don't see everything, that we think God's wrong, he's messed up, he doesn't understand, he doesn't know our situation, he doesn't know what we're going through, he doesn't know how bad things are, that, that, that we try to do what we think's best apart from and against God. Church, listen, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't turn away from God. Matt McBroom was exactly right this morning when he said and when he prayed that we need the word of God. We need to know what God says. We need to believe him. And in all the ways that we don't understand, we pray for understanding, but we listen and follow God. And if it doesn't make sense, keep following him. That's what we do. Hebrews 11 then says, He considered, listen to this, listen to this faith, verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham's like, man, this sounds like the most ridiculous story in the world. I'm about to kill my son, but if God tells me to, I will. I guess God's just going to bring him back to life. What faith, right? Man, he believes God. He looks like a fool in doing all the things that he's doing. He's left his land, he's left his people, he's traveling around the world, he's got an old wife, he's an old guy, all of this, and then he finally gets a son, and now it's time to kill him, and he's willing to do it all simply because he believes God. This is what faith looks like. And James wants us to know that story, and James then says, look at this in verse 23, 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Isn't that a nice phrase? Isn't that a compliment? See, he was called a friend of God because he believed God. And because he believed God, he lived by what God said, by what God told him to do. He lived a life that was honoring to God, that was obedient to God. Friendship with God. So which then James says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James is not at all trying to tell us that Paul was wrong. James is trying to get us to see what living faith looks like. And I want to ask you here today, do you do what you do in life because God says so? Do you forgive people because God says so? God says to forgive. God says that if you will not forgive, God will not forgive you. So do you believe God that even as much as it pains you, you are to forgive? Let me ask you this. Do you give? Do you give of your life, your time, your energy, your resources, your health, your strength? Do you give? Do you say, because God has given so much to me and for me and through me, I also want to give. See, what the Bible is wanting us to understand is that because we believe, this is why we do what we do. You ever been around kids and they start asking lots and lots and lots and lots of questions and it drives you nuts? Man, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. If you got a lot of kids around, they will ask so many questions. And every once in a while, it gets to them asking why. They want an explanation for everything. They ask why, why, why. Well, parents and grandparents, listen. Sometimes them asking why is exactly what we needed to hear. Why do we actually do what we're doing? Why were we here last week for 24 hours of prayer? Why did we sign up for that? Why did we just put money in the plate? Why did we just do that? Because I guarantee you, my kids are going to ask me in the next three days, can we go to Dairy Queen for ice cream? They're probably going to ask every night. And then sometimes I'm going to say, no, a blizzard is like three or four dollars. And if I buy all five of y'all a blizzard every night, that's like 20 bucks. We're not doing that every night, right? And a kid will say, well, if you hadn't put that 20 bucks in the plate, then we could have got that blizzard. Why'd you do that? That's the way they think, right? And there's a good reason for why we do what we do. There's a good reason for why we do everything that we do. And this is what James wants us to see. The reason why Abraham did what he did is because he believed his God. It affected his marriage. It affected his parenting. It affected his family. It affected his world, his nation. It affected absolutely everything, his faith in God. So that's Abraham. But then James goes to Rahab. 
And it's only one verse, y'all, but it is as problematic as it gets in the book of James because Abraham is it, man. He's the example. But Rahab is a whole other story. Listen to this, what Douglas Moo says. He says, Rahab is a surprising example since she is a minor and an unsavory figure who contrasts sharply with Abraham. Abraham is the father of Israel. He is a male and he is a great patriarch. Rahab is a Canaanite, a foreigner, a disreputable prostitute, a harlot. Yet, Rahab illustrates real faith. For an intellectual conversion to orthodox ideas would not have saved Rahab. She had to act, and she did. Look with me at James chapter 2. In the same, verse 25, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Wow. James just goes there. I feel like we're saying this every week. James holds nothing back. He throws punches. He is willing to rip us up. He is willing to step on our toes. And guess what? James writes a letter to the New Testament church, people who are certain that Jesus Christ is alive, and he wants to give an example of how to live for God and have your life impacted for Christ. And guess who he goes to? He goes to the lady who slept with everybody in town. He goes to the lady who her job is sleeping with people to make money. That's what she does. And boy, she is an example to us of how to have your life set on Jesus. Can we believe, James, and be done with the days where the church ever, ever, ever caters to people who have their lives together but don't believe God in heaven? We are done with that. We don't care who you are, what you do, what you stand for. We don't care. It is faith in the living God who sent his son Jesus to die for us that we admire, that we follow, that we emulate, that impresses us. And I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how nice your yard is. I don't care how much you'll do for me. I don't care how many times you'll pay for my family to go to dinner. We want faith in Christ. I don't care how you vote. I don't care what you're thinking about, but we are living for Jesus, the one who died on the cross and now reigns on high. And James says, that's what it's all about. And if we got to have a prostitute be the example for us, then so let it be. She believed, and all of a sudden, she started acting differently. That's what faith looks like. It would have been so easy for us to have just found the example of Abraham. We'd have thought, man, he was a great guy. We love Abraham. You know why? Because he's rich. And we love that there's a few rich people in the Bible that believed, because that eases our guilt. But what about Rahab? I want to ask you, do you have any friends that are like Rahab? You got any church family that's like that? You got anybody in your life that's a rock-solid believer, that is an example from God of what it looks like to obey and go and serve and give and act out? You got anybody like that? Or are you keeping your distance from them? And you know what I see all the time in parenting? We want our kids to be Christian. We want our kids to go to church, but we haven't really gone all in it. We haven't discipled them. So here's what we do. So we kind of give up on that. And then we just get proud that they're just such good, upstanding adults. Not like Rahab. We'd be proud if our kids are just good adults and pay their bills. We'll talk bad about the people that are following Christ, but man, it's been a hard way to go. 
and their lives are actually in shambles. It's been a rocky road, but you know what? They're holding on. We'll be ashamed of them, may not even talk to them in the hallway, look the other way, wouldn't bend over for them, wouldn't sacrifice for them, but oh, they might be lives full of sin, but as long as they've got it together and got a job, then we're proud of them. Now, James ain't gonna let us be like that. James gives us two examples in chapter two. It's Abraham and Rahab. They are both great followers of Christ. They are both obedient. They are both believers. They are both examples for us. Do you know that story? It's from Joshua chapter two. God's already rescued his people out of Egypt. They are on their way to the promised land. And right before they get there, because Canaan is the major city, right? Or Jericho is the major city that they're gonna have to take over. God's gonna have to uh, overcome that city so that his people can go and live there. That's the story. And so before, we get, before they get there, they send spies to go check it out, right? And they're gonna get in trouble when they get there. So the spies hide out at Rahab's house. She's a prostitute. It's a pretty brilliant strategy, right? Nobody would ever thought that the people of God are staying at the prostitute's house, right? The Bible didn't give us any details there, and we know that it was a good thing, okay? She lived in the wall, so it's easy to escape there. But word got to uh, the Canaanites that the spies were there. And so they go to her house. Look with me real quick at Joshua chapter 2. You've got to read this. I want you to see what she says. Look with me at Joshua chapter 2. You've got to understand the story. She hid the spies on the roof because the, uh, the, the bad guys, the Canaanites, were coming to find them. Joshua chapter two, verse nine. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Look at this, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab, because of the witness, the testimony, the story of the people of God, had become a believer in the true God, the one true God. She had become a believer. Now, just in case you don't believe that, in the first chapter of the New Testament, in the genealogy in Matthew chapter one, where we have the whole genealogy that gets us all the way from Abraham to Jesus, there are a few women mentioned in the family line, which was very rare in Old Testament Israel. Guess whose name? is in the most prestigious family line of the reigning King Jesus, Rahab. Rahab's name is in Matthew chapter one, verse five. Well, what about Hebrews chapter 11, that huge hall of faith that I already read all of you there from, uh, 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 from about Abraham. Well, at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says, by faith, meaning the reason why she did what she did is because she believed Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
The reason why she welcomed them, the reason why she hid them, the reason why she saved them, the reason why she helped the kingdom of God, the advancement of God, the reason why she helped is because she believed in their God. And James picks up on that. And in James chapter two says, she is a great example for us Christians, a great example. She believed God and it's caused her life to do what she did. This is an example of faith. It's beautiful. It's outstanding. It is bothersome in some ways because we want in us to have a little bit of pride about how good we are how our character, our integrity is so admirable so that we might get a little bit of the credit or the glory for why God likes us. But the Bible won't let that happen. The Bible will not let that happen. You should not feel good about God loving you because you're so lovable. You should not. You should feel good. You should feel good about God loving you. You should feel good about God loving you. Everybody hear that? You should feel good about God loving you because his son is so worthy. Because Jesus died for you. Because he went through it. He suffered. He took it all. He took it all for you. And all the emphasis and the credit and the pride and the boasting and the glory deserves is deserved to Christ. He gets it, not us. And there's a lot of ways that we could say, man, I want to be like Abraham. He had the favor of God, but man, he sure had the good life. I can't tell you how many times my kids have said to me, can't we have both? Can't we have Jesus and all the good things in life too? The answer to that is yes. But it doesn't always go that way. The goal is Jesus. The goal is Jesus. Listen to this from one commentator. He says, it seems strange that James connected together those who were so unalike Why did he not rather choose someone from so large a number of illustrious fathers and join him to Abraham? Why did he prefer a harlot to all others? He designedly put together two persons so different in their character in order more clearly to show that no one, whatever may have been his or her condition, her nation, his or her nation, their class in society, whatever has ever been counted righteous without good works. He had named the patriarch, by far the most eminent of all, Abraham, And he now includes under the person of a harlot all those who being aliens were joined to the church. Whosoever then seeks to be counted righteous, though he may even be among the lowest, must yet show that he is such by good works. James is saying not just that Rahab believed, but when Rahab believed, she started living it. This is not a lesson from James on an empty faith. I say I believe. I call myself a Christian. This is an example to us that Rahab, somebody you would not admire, is to be admired because upon believing, regardless of her past and her shame, something that undoubtedly she was broken over, she now lived for God. She worked for God. She served him. What an example. And so from there, we have Rahab And then from there, we have this final example of the body, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You know, the body and life is a unique thing, and I think you've been there before. You're alive, you're alive, you're alive, and we've seen people in their final days. They're alive, they're alive, there's response, 
There's the chest moving from the heartbeat, from the lungs. There's a pulse. If strength isn't all the way gone, there's all sorts of uh, awarenesses, senses. We can talk, we can breathe, we can respond, we can squeeze a hand. There's life inside that body. And it really is such a heavy thing. When the life leaves the body, the person, the body, the tent, the shell remains. But there's no life there. When it comes time for me to be laid out in a casket one day, you might say, that, that, that's Josh. But the Bible teaches us that I won't be there anymore. The spirit of me will have gone on somewhere else. But the body will still be there. And we're very aware that there is a separating of the two. We are. We see alive bodies and we've seen dead bodies. And James says that's what it's like spiritually. And the difference is the presence of Jesus by faith. I want to ask you here today to be super honest. Do you believe? Are you like Abraham? That whatever God told him, he went and did it at all costs? Are you like Rahab where you will admit there's some things in your past that you're not proud about, but that's okay. Your eyes are on God now and you're living for him. You are not gonna let your guilt and your shame be something you hide and make excuses about, but instead you're gonna own it because now you know the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, he's yours and you now live for him. See, as long as our confidence is in what we've done, we're trying to hide how bad we've been. But if our confidence is in Jesus who died for sinners, it can be as bad as you want it to be in the past and as good as you want it to be in the future because you're trusting in Christ. Your identity is in him. He really is a life changer. But James wants us to understand, and I'm glad we came back to chapter two, that believing does something to you. Do you believe God? Do you do what you do because of what he says? Does it affect your life? Would you admit that if you were to stop being Christian, it would change some things? Or realistically, if we shut down completely forever, would your life be the same? You know what I've been thinking about a lot this week? I wonder how many people, because they were not having Bible studies as much and we're not getting together and we're not in people's homes, I wonder how many people since the pandemic hit March haven't prayed because they only pray when they're with others or when somebody makes them to or when they're in church. I wonder how many people haven't prayed. I wonder how many people haven't read the Bible. Haven't read the Bible since whatever that was, March 13th. Because faith makes no difference at all. Hey, I heard a quote one time that was directed at volunteers, listen to this. This is a big ouch quote, okay? Gotta be careful with it. But it was directed at volunteers, and I wanna apply it to our faith. It said, hey, if your presence makes no difference, your absence won't either. That's a good quote, isn't it? If you're trying to guilt shame your volunteers. But it works. Hey, if you're gonna be here, make a difference. Do something, pick up a box, you know, do something. If your presence makes no difference, your absence won't either. Well, now can we say that to our faith in Jesus? If your faith in Jesus makes no difference in your life, hey, your lack of faith in Jesus won't either. 
Why don't you just admit it and own it? You ain't living by faith. God's not changed your life. I wanna tell y'all this story. I don't know if y'all were around in 1859, but in 1859, the famous daredevil, Charles Blondin, you may have heard of him, announced that he was gonna tightrope Niagara Falls. You heard this story before? Charles Blondin, 1859, he was gonna tightrope Niagara Falls. What a story. He ran an 1,100-foot cable 160 feet above the gorge. It was all over the TVs and all over the paper. There weren't TVs. It was all over the paper. Word spread. Crowds gathered like crazy to watch him do it. They were scared to death. No nets, no harnesses, no strings. A true walk across the tightrope. He took off. He went. He had this super long pole that he held to keep him balanced. Now, the thing about Charles Blondin, he was truly a daredevil. He was, a, he was incredible, and he was super good at it. He had practiced. He had practiced. It took him 17 minutes. He, you know, he kind of played it up and walked slowly and all of that. And, you know, all of that. It took him 17 minutes. He made it all the way across. And as he made it all the way across, the crowds just erupted, and they're going crazy. This is the best feat, the most amazing feat they had ever seen in their lives. This guy's crazy and yet awesome. He's really good at it. And as soon as he got there, he waved, and they're going crazy. He just turned around, didn't say a word. He just turned around and walked all the way straight back. When he got to the other side, they're still going crazy. Everybody's like, man, this guy, he's just so good at it. He ain't even worried. This guy's incredible. He gets to the other side again, and they're going crazy. They're trying to get an interview, and he grabs a wheelbarrow. True story, 1859. He grabs a wheelbarrow and just takes off now. He was so good at it, it wasn't a problem. And he's now walking across, okay? 160 feet above, 1,100 feet across, Niagara Falls. One slip, one distraction, he dies, and people are everywhere, right? And he gets there to the wheelbarrow, and when he gets to the side, they're going crazy, they're interviewing him, all that, and they're heaping praise like you've never heard before. This guy is the biggest daredevil ever. He's a miracle worker. How do you do it? You are so skilled, you're the best. You are the best daredevil we've ever seen. He said, if you really believe that, get in the wheelbarrow. Nobody <laughs> got in the wheelbarrow. But he's not our savior, folks. I wouldn't get in that wheelbarrow either. But I'm gonna tell you what, you can trust God. He loves you. And in a world where letdown happens all the time, we're accustomed to being let down. God will not let you down. Hold on tight. Believe. And be willing to get in God's wheelbarrow. Be willing to say, I'll take the piggyback across the rope. I'll be willing to take steps of obedience into this hard life. My life hurts it's not the way I thought it was gonna go, but I will believe you, God. Christ will not fail me. I believe, I believe, I believe. Where else would I go? Folks, may we be those that believe, and because we do, it changes our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for real faith and examples like a tightrope or Abraham or Rahab. 
Father, help us to see what James is trying to say, that if we have believed, it should be working in us. Oh, Father, work that in us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now is as good a time as ever for me to be as strong as I can to say, get right with God. If you're here today and you feel like faith is not working in your lives, you've not really been committed to him, then do it now. I want to say to you that if you have never committed or you feel like your commitment before wasn't a commitment, if today you want to respond, become a Christian, call out to Jesus, then do it now. Say, I want to have a life of faith and obedience. Let's sing. But as we sing, let's believe 